0: everybody my name is Remy. welcome to the for the love podcast with your host jen hatmaker my mom she writes books and speaks to crowds but she mostly loves talking to amazing people
1: on this podcast every week thanks for listening we hope you enjoy the show hey everybody jen hatmaker here welcome to the for the love podcast super glad to have you today All right, let's rewind for just a sec because I know you saw me talk about this next series that we start today a few months ago. Back when it was fall, we hadn't had Christmas, we hadn't had Thanksgiving, Parasite hadn't won Best Picture of the Oscars yet. Hey, Parasite, congrats. I went on the road, which is one of my favorite things to do, especially for you. And I got to talk to some Outstanding, smart, fabulous guests for our very first For the Love live podcast tour. Do you remember that? Um, some of you came out for it. Gosh, we loved meeting you in all these cities. Um, but if you didn't, trust me, it was a good time. And because I know you cannot always just uh, drop your job and your babies and your people to come out with me on a school night, I thought I would bring the tour. To you. So, in this series, you're going to get to hear my conversations with every single guest on the tour that we recorded live in a live room um, because I want you to experience these conversations as much as I did at the moment in the room. So, on our very first night out, we had the privilege to talk again with one of my very best teachers. And that, of course, is writer and speaker, activist and leader, Austin Channing Brown. If you've been listening to this show for a hot minute, you might remember Austin and the fire she brought to our For the Love of Exploring Our Faith series a while back. And if you're new, hurry over and listen to that episode after you get done here, because Austin is just a truth teller of the best sort. I promise you that. She is she is a voice to listen to. So sit back and relax. Uh, this is maybe the best kind of live event because you get to press pause and get more wine or snacks and keep listening. And so this was a great night and I will not forget it. So please enjoy my live conversation with the brilliant, gracious, beautiful Austin Channing Brown. So tonight we have Austin Channing Brown with us in the house. Yes. So if you're new to Austin, let me introduce her real quick. Let me tell you a little bit about her before I bring her up. She's a writer. She's a speaker. She's a practitioner. She helps schools and nonprofits and religious organizations learn to practice genuine inclusion and equality and equity. Her writing is everywhere. She's Christianity Today, relevant, sojourners, Christian century. She's all over the place. Um, Austin began her journey as a racial reconciler in college with a really huge experience that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, We will definitely discuss that because you're going to want to hear where this started for her. She wrote a book that, for me personally, was very groundbreaking. It's called, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Coming in hot. It's coming in hot. I wrote an endorsement for her book, and I truly have to say, and I mean this sincerely, she's one of my best and most important teachers. I learned from her constantly. This is what, what I said in my endorsement. I said, this book is devastating, beautiful, and haunting. And it leaves no room for a tepid reaction. Her story will move you, push you, and break your heart. So y'all just buckle up. That's what I'm trying to say to you right now. So after her undergrad work, um, Austin went on to earn a master's degree in social justice from Mary Grove College in Detroit. And she's done some really cool work with short-term missions on the west side of Chicago, creating really cool opportunities for young people um, to engage issues of poverty and injustice and race. Um, she's worked on staff at Willow Creek, um, developing strategies and programming around multiculturalism. Here's my point. She has receipts, OK? She has receipts. She's, got, she's involved in some really hard work. She doesn't pull any punches. You know this if you know her. She, she forces us into the notion of what does it really mean to love your neighbor? Okay? It's a good question. And she calls it out when the mark is being missed. Um, she is really out there helping to dispel fears and preconceptions and assumptions so that we can truly begin to live by the highest thing that we are called to as humans, no matter no matter our history, which is to love one another well. So you are in for a treat. We are all in for a treat. Please help me welcome to the stage, Austin Channing Brown. Hi. Hi, honey. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Portland. Portland. We're so happy to see you. You are so
2: cute and quirky. I love it. I
1: know. It really, really is. Um, So we were just talking backstage uh, a minute ago. Like, when did we first actually meet? You know how the internet makes you friends? Um, That's real. Like, which is why I feel like we're all friends, too. Um, I'm like, when's the first time we met with our faces?
2: Mm -hmm. What was it? <clears throat> you walked in the door of my apartment. Mm. <laughs> I said the word baby, and you were like, yes, please. I did. That's real. Mm-hmm.
1: That feels on brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been following Austin. I'd been listening to her. I'd been reading your work, and we going I was going to be in Grand Rapids, right. which is where you lived at the time. And then I just came to your house like a serial killer. Yeah, Yeah.
2: my book had just released. That's right. And you were kind enough to join me for this video discussion that I was putting together. Yep. And yeah, so you, the doorbell rang, ding dong. It was like Jen Hatmaker is at my house. Yeah.
1: And I was like, oh, I'm so happy to see you in person. Where's your baby? (laughs) Yeah. I would love you and I talked about this the first time on the first show, but. I like when you tell the story because I think it's a good jumping off place for the rest of our conversation. Mm -hmm. Would you tell the story a little bit about how you got your name and why?
2: Yeah. So I was real used to people assuming that I was going to be a boy, mostly because I grew up in like the late 80s, early 90s, where we decided to personalize everything Keychains, coffee mugs. Yeah. Y'all know what I'm
1: saying? You know who won on that game? Jennifer. Listen. <laughs> Listen. You better believe it.
2: Austin wasn't getting me far, friends. It just wasn't getting me far. So I was super used to that. So um, I go to the library to return some books, check out some new books. I'm like maybe eight years old. Hmm. And the librarian takes my card and she goes, is this your card? And I'm like, I think, right? Like, I think so. And she says, this card says Austin. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, I see what's happening here. You thought I was going to be a boy. I'm not a boy. I have surprised you. So right? Mm-hmm. People get real weird about gender. Somebody say hello. Yeah, this is so real. Real weird about gender. So, so I say, yes, my name is Austin. That's my library card. She says, Jen. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, are we sure whether or not I know my own name? Is that what you're asking me right now? Mm. So I march over to my mother because I'm just mad. Sure. I'm Like, Ma, why did you give me this name? Mm. And she starts telling me about our family history, where my name literally comes from. And I'm like, Ma, I already know all of this. I'm not asking you where it came from. I'm asking why you chose it. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. She sits down. At the little library table, and she instantly like dones the black mother voice, Mm. which is about two octaves lower than it should be. Right? So it's like, well, Austin, Uh you know, like, I'm like, okay, what's happening here? And she says to me, Austin, we didn't have a name for you because you were a girl. If you had been a boy, you would have been a junior. She said, when one of us said, Austin, we knew immediately that anybody who saw your name would assume you were a white man. Hmm. And she said, we just had to get you to the interview. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. She was like, one day you're going to have to apply for a home or jobs or school or whatever. And she gave, then she gave me like the black mama pep talk, like, but you're so charismatic and so yeah. funny. And so, right, yeah. like all the things. Yeah. But then she repeated herself, and she said, I will never forget. She said, we just had to get you to the interview.
1: Do you remember how you felt? And that's a lot to th- take in as an 8-year-old.
2: <laughs> only, the only thought I remember having is, huh, every Austin I've met has been a white guy. Oh, yeah. It just <laughs> right? like, yeah. I had never realized yeah. that they were also white. I was yeah. only ever making this gender, oh, gender connection. Because yeah. yeah. I was like, huh, but I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure what I had learned about the world, except mm. that the fact that the suspicion that I received when people didn't expect a black girl to show up yeah. had to do with my race and not just my gender. That's right. That's all I knew at that yeah. point.
1: So fast forward a little bit. Um, I would love our lov- lovely audience, if they don't already know, to find out a little bit more about your pretty strong move into becoming mm-hmm. a racial reconciler and justice seeker yeah. and what that means to you. Can you talk a little bit about your experience at Sankofa? Oh my word. Can you, I know you've mm-hmm. talked a lot about this, but it's important yes. to sort of the foundation of a lot of your work. Um, can you re- recap that story mm-hmm. for everybody?
2: It was quite the trip friends. Mm-hmm. So Sankofa is a civil rights journey Um, I was living in Chicago and we would get on a bus and for three days we would travel all the way to the south and then tour like museums and statues and just sort of remembering history. Mm. We would read books together. We would watch movies together. And it was our job to process aloud um, as we're on this bus. Everybody gets paired up. So you get a white person and a black person together on a bus Three days, college students. Are you with me? Oh,
1: man. Mm-hmm. This
2: feels, this, what could go wrong? What could go wrong, Jen? Yeah. Yeah. And they don't tell us where we're going. So you just get oh, on the bus and you just go with I didn't it. I remember that oh, detail. No. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I got on the bus, and the first stop was in Louisiana at a plantation. Mm-hmm. And apparently the tour guides for the plantation, it was their family plantation when it was oh. a plantation plantation. Yeah. So they start the tour, and they're pointing to like a trough that a horse should eat out of, and they're going, "That's where the babies slept." Mm. Isn't that wonderful? Like they were so genius to like you. re Thank you for you're like mm mm. That ain't right. It's, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. And here's the thing, friends. It was so wild to us that. We thought it was a joke. Like we thought it was like irony was being used mm, at first. Yeah, they're like, oh, they're not. They're not kidding. They're mm. serious. They um they were remembering how the slaves would sing their beautiful songs mm. out in the field as they worked.
3: Mm.
2: They they uh the slaves never hurt themselves mm. as they were picking cotton because they were so good at it. Mm. Like it was
3: boy, they were telling
2: wild, themselves a story. Wild. Mm. But we're dealing with college students, Jen. So mm-hmm. all the black students on the trip are thinking, what is yeah. happening right now? And all the white students are like, huh, oh, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, there is a huge I'm... miseducation happening. <laughs> so we end that trip. Oh, my Lord. Well, first of all, at the end of that tour, the tour guides turn to all of us and they say, now, if you would like to go pick cotton, oh, you're, man. Uh huh. I was, like, physically driving, dragging people yeah. away from yeah. the tour guides, friends. Wow. So we get on the bus. We go to our next stop, which is a lynching museum yeah. in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. And it's, a small, it's smaller than this room, mm-hmm. friends. And on every wall, there is a photo of a lynching. Mm. And, and it, was, mm. it was a lot to process. Mm. And I'll tell y'all, the more that I have reflected on this, what really surprised me that day, I knew that lynchings had happened, right? I knew that lynchings were a part of the American story. The narrative that I had always concocted in my mind was that people were ashamed of it, hence the white robes and the things in the Mm -hmm. middle of the night and, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm walking through this museum and there's a postcard, that has a lynching on the front and on the back, it says, sorry, we missed you at the barbecue. Oh my gosh. There's newspapers that are announcing that there's going to be a mob tonight. There's um, photographs where people are like smiling up at the camera with a lynched body behind Mm -hmm. them. So it's like this shocking experience Mm. where you think you know what you're about to see and you don't realize what Mm -hmm. you're about to see. So we get on the bus, and mm. it wasn't good friends. Mm. Like everyone's worst fear about how a conversation about race is going to go. Oh, right, <laughs> right. It was happening. Exhibit A. It was happening. Yes. So, so the most. So it didn't start explosive, but it got there real fast, friends. Mm. So at the most explosive, a black woman stands up because all the white students have been like, "But, but my family wasn't there." Mm, sure. Right. We were still in France or wherever right Mm -hmm. and thank you for laughing um (laughs) (laughs) right and but deflection right Mm -hmm. trying not to feel it trying to like separate from it which you know is quite understandable if the black people could have separated ourselves from it I'm sure we would have to but then a black woman stands up she's like a junior I think and she is so calm friends she stands up at the front of the bus and she says you know I think that white people are just innately evil. Oh man! I, you all rape and kill mm. and steal and commit genocide mm-hmm. and enslave people and she's like, I don't think it's your fault. Mm. I think there might just be something innately mm. wrong here. Yikes! And then that child sat down. Oh dear! Oh, <laughs> man. She like handed the microphone uh-huh. to the next person. Yeah. yeah. And everybody on the this yeah. is like mouths on the floor, yeah. which is, yes. what just happened here. Wow. So as you can imagine, that escalated things yeah. a bit. So now we're like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Conversations as circular as circular could be. Hmm. And finally, a girlfriend of mine gets up. She's a white girl. And we're about to break for lunch. So this is like a make it or break it moment, friends. And she gets up and she says you know, I am witnessing a lot of pain on this bus. Like, there are a lot of black women on this bus that I love, and they are filled with pain over what they have seen between these last two stops. Mm. She said, I can't fix the pain. She said, I can't, I can't take it away. I can't undo what's been done. She said, but I can sit in it with you. Mm. Right? She says, I can sit in it with you. And she said, and I can determine that doing nothing is no longer an option for me. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, me too! Yeah. Doing nothing is no longer an option! Yes. And I have been a proponent for racial justice yes, you have. ever since.
1: Yes, you have. And a good one, and a strong one. Um, You have said something that's really compelling about how sometimes um, folks like me, like white people of a certain age, of a certain economic standing and religion, are in the process right now of uncovering the lies they've been told about Mm -hmm. black history, Mm -hmm. um, about white history, uh, race issues. And now that they're learning correctly... Um, Or, in some cases like me, also have black children. Right. Um, They're, as you said, being forced to look at these issues in a much deeper way than the soundbite. Right. The soundbite is sometimes palatable. The deeper um, dig is harder. And so what's happening is that so many are coming to you (laughs) and saying, tell me what to do. Right? Tell me what's the next thing tell me what i need to know um and you have on purpose not not spelled it out explicitly you've not given a 10-step guide um on what you've not created a template um you've essentially said well is you know is doing nothing an option for you more or less yes is can you do something? You've got really good reasons that have instructed me on why you insist that people sort of chart their own path and do their own work here. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. What I think is really beautiful about the work of racial justice is that there's so much of it to do. Mm. So if you are passionate about education, there is so much. Yes, there is to do if you are passionate about the criminal justice system there is so much to Mm. do if you are passionate about women or health disparities or homelessness and housing or Mm. a million other things there is so much to do Mm. and I believe this with my whole heart Jen I believe that any 10-step program I would create would be too damn easy yeah yeah it would be too easy. Uh-huh. I need you to go do the hard thing. Yeah, Whatever that is. I need you to go do the hard thing. I need you to look within mm. and say, this is the thing that pisses me off.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm not going to be silent about it anymore. Mm. I'm going to educate myself. And I'm going to read all the books. And I'm going to make all the mistakes. And I'm going to let mm. this like perfection thing yes. go. And I'm just going to be out here doing the work.
1: Mm. Um, I I, I know. I know. Two things you just said that I appreciate. Um, the first is that you regularly say you will do this imperfectly. You will say the weirdest thing. You will say the most wrong thing. You will get corrected. And no one's going to die.
2: Jen, can I tell you? You can that, <laughs> can I tell you that white people are the only ones who think they could do this perfectly? <laughs> That's so
1: true. Oh, Why are we like this? Uh, All the people of
2: color in your life are real clear that you are not perfect. Yes, you're so right. You're the only one who have convinced yourself. Yeah one that you might not do harm or that you but that you haven't already. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Surely your silence has already created harm. Mm. So at least try.
1: Mhm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And
2: you might get called out and you yeah. might get your feelings hurt and you might have to go lick your wounds. You'll be all right.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go take care of yourself Oh yeah, and come on back. Oh, yeah, totally. I have Austin. I have several um, black friends in my life mm-hmm. who have full permission to always just say whatever they need to say to me. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a text like, girl, take that down off Twitter. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I thought that was funny. They're like, take it down. Um, and I appreciate that so much. I, I, I love the correction and I love that. There's enough trust among us to be able to be like, you are getting this part wrong. Right, so fix it. Right, say you're sorry and don't that's say it right. again. That's that's where I've had some of my best lessons. Um, the second thing is something they were saying, which is, you were kind of alluding to it, but mm-hmm. for a lot of a lot of folks, kind of in majority culture, like a lot of white people, this is really. Um, it's hard work. It's always been hard work for the black community. Right. It's, they don't get an opt-out. Right, um, And so when we opt-in, uh, it's hard. And there's this very human reaction, which is defensiveness. Right. And it's guilt. Ooh, child. And and thus, that is the way, that's the front first foot that we often put forward when we enter this conversation at whatever place we are um, entering it. And so it's pretty predictable. Can you talk for a minute about navigating and maybe even define the terms a little bit? Sure. White fragility Mm -hmm. and then ultimately white guilt. Yeah. And what is important for us to know about that? Just no big deal.
2: Tra-la. So the other day I post... Almost this exact conversation on Twitter, hmm. right? So I say, white people, PSA, you're the only one who thinks you could be perfect. Mm-hmm. So you can, like, let it go. Like, you could just mm-hmm. do the work. Mm-hmm. And people start responding, thank you for being so gracious. Mm. And I was like, no, for real, you're not perfect. Mm. Like for re- Like, I'm not being gracious. I'm right. telling you the truth. Yes. Yes. Right? yes. And... And there's a person who hmm. responds to me by saying, I can't believe you would mock all of us like that. I right. do not feel safe. You said we would be safe, and now I don't feel safe.
1: Right.
2: Friends, Yeah. white fragility. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to paint two pictures here. Black woman in her house, supposed to have a wellness check done, dies.
3: Yeah.
2: Right? murdered by the police, Hmm. I sent a tweet that did not include your handle and you think you're being attacked and don't feel safe. Hmm. White fragility is the ability for white folks to continue to center themselves in the narrative as opposed to recognizing that white folks are not in fact in danger.
3: Mm.
2: You are not in danger. You might be uncomfortable. Mm. You might have your feelings hurt. You, you, you know what, I'll even give you this. Black folks ain't perfect. Mm. So you might actually get called out for maybe something that a whole nother set of black folks wouldn't have called you out for. Mm. Like it might actually maybe, maybe be unfair, maybe.
1: Mm.
2: Oh well. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Right, right. Like, like. Oh well,
2: you are not, you are not dying in large numbers. You are not dealing with disparities. You are not wondering what you should name your kids, in hopes that twenty years from now they can get a job.
3: Mm. Right,
2: right. Yeah. And so, what white fragility does? Um, I'm sure there's like a really good definition that I can't, I don't have for you. Google, um, I'm sure was an excellent resource on this. But what it, what it does is it re-centers white people as the primary audience Mm. for racial justice, as if this is not going to move forward without you. Mm. As if you need to feel safe, and you need to feel like the center, and you need to feel like the savior, and you need a pat on the back, and you need your hair brushed, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So that you can feel like you are an active and important and inclusive member in this as opposed to just being an active and inclusive Mm -hmm. member who is human like the rest of us are Mm -hmm. human. Mm -hmm. I think there is sometimes this notion, I I think white supremacy gets real tricky because white supremacy is the notion that white people are better but also that black people are inferior, Mm -hmm. right? It's a twofold lie. It isn't that people of color are Mm -hmm. neutral, but -hmm. white people are better, Mm -hmm. right? It's a twofold lie. The other half of the lie is that there is something inherently wrong with people of color. Mm And so sometimes what happens is that narrative around something being wrong with people of color doesn't get destroyed. So white people are busy trying to undo white supremacy, but they're not busy trying to undo the idea that black people and people of color are equal.
1: That's interesting.
2: Are y'all with me? Yeah. And so what happens then is that black people still aren't considered fully human, Mm. who are going to make mistakes, who are going to call things out, who are going to drop F-bombs, who Mm -hmm. are going to... Right? Not always see what you're doing. We're going to misinterpret what you're doing. Like We are still fully human. Mm-hmm. Oh, fully mm-hmm. human. There might be a day when I call out Jen for something like I'm like, take that down. Right. And Jen explains it. and I'm like, oh, never mind.
1: Uh, yeah. Right? Because right. I'm human.
2: Right. And so I think sometimes white fragility gets in the way of allowing all of us to be human mm-hmm. and still get back to work. That's good. Yeah. I really, thank you for explaining it like
1: yeah. that. I wonder if you're looking for a way to level up your life, but something is holding you back. You might find it helpful to talk to someone who's not in your everyday orbit and better help counseling is a great solution here. It matches you with a licensed therapist who can talk you through exactly what you're struggling with. They have therapists who specialize in everything, stress, relationships, trauma, grief, anger, self-esteem, whatever it is, you don't have to carry it alone. You can talk it through with your better help counselor at your own pace in a safe and secure online environment. And guess what? There's financial aid for those who qualify so you don't have to get turned away from caring for your mental health just because of money. So to get started today with 10% off your first month, you can use the discount code for the love at betterhelp.com forthelove for the love. So you just fill out the questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get you matched with a counselor that you'll love. So one more time, it's BetterHelp dot com slash for the love discount code for the love. Back to our show, guys. Let's talk
2: systematically for a minute. Yeah. There's so much we need to undo tonight. Yes. Let's
1: just, we've got an hour. I mean, it's enough. <laughs> so not just like as society, but if we wanted to also s- Just recognized as a subgroup, like Christian subculture. Ooh, child. Well, I'm just saying. Here we are. Um, We have demonstrated that we're perfectly willing to make enemies of entire people groups, right? I think that's clear. Is that fair to say? Um, And one way that we do this, and you have said this, is that we create policy around our fears, And so, for example, as you have cited, you know, because some subsets of the church are afraid of LGBTQ people, um, there's policy around them to insulate from those sorts of specific fears. Um, But you point out that what's even scarier Mm -hmm. are the policies that no one actually writes down, um, that our fear is dictating our policies rather than our love. And so you're like some of this early work is resisting the narrative of fear in the first place. Um, we've got to hear it. We've got to acknowledge it. So I wonder if you can talk about this for a minute and specifically about some of these unwritten policies right. that undergird racism or othering, as you mentioned sure. kind of with that other community in our society, but also in our churches.
2: Yeah. So, um, can I get can I get real specific friends? Yeah, that's so I had a girlfriend um, who's a black woman who used to sing, she was a vocalist for a church that may or may not have been mentioned earlier. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, and she was regularly expected to do spoken word if it was MLK Day, oh, yeah. right? Or sing the gospel song. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Make us all feel like we're on a mountain high and right, like just. mm.
1: But this is not in a traditionally black church.
2: This is not in a traditionally black church. So she was expected to put on her blackness, to like go behind stage, put it on, bring it out for everyone to experience, and then she was supposed to go take it back off so that she could sing the regular songs. You know Uh what I mean? Yeah.
1: You know. You know. I know know y'all know.
2: But the white vocalists were never expected to right. go over here and do spoken word. They were never expected to try out the gospel song over here, right? It was always that we want you to be black when it benefits us, but otherwise, we would really appreciate it if you would just blend in mm. and make us feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Yeah. And I wasn't good at that, Jen.
1: I don't believe that you ever were. I
2: wasn't good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and 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 you know what the truth is, is that women understand this. Hmm. Because there are rules and policies. There's the, the boys club. Hmm. There's the here's when you're allowed to speak and here's where you're not. There's yep. here's where you're allowed to sit and here's where you're not. Right? Like right. these rules exist for lots of marginalized groups. Sure. The problem is that often, too often, white women will trade on their whiteness Hmm. as opposed to remembering what it's like to be marginalized.
1: Talk about that a little bit more.
2: So white women know what it's like to be in a meeting. Y'all tell me if this has ever happened to you. Hmm. You're in a meeting and you say something brilliant.
3: Hmm.
2: Brilliant. Yeah. It is creative, it is insightful, it is doable, and you have a budget for it. Nice. Right? Yes. And everyone goes silent when you say it. Hmm. And then five minutes later, mm-hmm. a white guy says the same thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's the best idea yeah. at the table. Yeah. That same thing is happening with women of color or women of color get silenced at the table their ideas get taken they get interrupted all the time mm-hmm. right and and if if women if white women could say to themselves i know what it is to be marginalized and i refuse to let anyone else be marginalized too that's good right as opposed to Ooh, in this situation, I get to be powerful. Mm-hmm. So now I'm gonna be powerful. Because
1: I'm not the lowest on the totem pole. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's great. Kind of a similar idea, but I, I want to dovetail it over to your book. Yeah. I'm still here. Um you in inside your book, you talk about how in our time and in, in our culture, virtually all of our institutions, our schools, our churches, our universities, our businesses, positively claim to value diversity. Oh, my God. Right? Everybody in has their, a mission in statement. In their mission statement. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's buzz. Yes. You know, it's kind of a buzzword. It's definitely a hot term. Um, but you assert that their actions often fall short of the words. Right. So I wonder... Where specifically in any of those spaces are you seeing this disparity between what people are saying and what they're doing inside their systems, inside their institutions, what's actually happening? And Maybe you have a personal story.
2: So uh, often, uh, first, let me say, I am one person who does this work, right? Mm. And so I have a very specific viewpoint on things, but there are others who would disagree, friends. So know that you are listening to a person, right. and you can evaluate that against other people that you're listening to. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that white people have a normalization problem, meaning all white folks think they normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. and therefore that their experience is universal.
1: I thought that for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm. So white folks. I just had a black woman come up to me the other day and tell me that she was so mad at her supervisor because they were on a retreat together and their icebreaker was naming songs by the Beatles. Sorry, I got nothing, <laughs> like nothing. This uh, assumption, right, that what is normal for you, that the uh, music you play, the movies you watch, the things you reference, right, that all uh, of yeah. that is universal, right, is creating problems mm-hmm. around being inclusive for real, for real. Mm. And so um, so I make this joke all the time, but I'm not really kidding. Um <laughs> I have been in classrooms or sermons, listen to sermons, um, where people will reference sailing. I got nothing. Right. Hockey. Blank. Blank. Got nothing. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Got nothing. Oh, come on. (laughs) I did not see that movie until I was 26. Uh. <laughs> I was real grown by the uh-huh. time I finally yeah. saw it, and I was like, "Yeah, then I was too, I was like i don 't understand what the big deal is
1: right fair.
2: I feel like we could rename this to ferris bueller 's privilege <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's
2: hilarious I was like i don't understand right, but people of color are constantly doing this work of translating what white folks assume is normal is everyone 's experience. And having to do the work of one either pretending Mm -hmm. or having to retreat and not being able to be a full member of the community. Mm. Um, So if I can just like run through examples. So when I was in high school, there was a glee club, white, Mm -hmm. and a gospel choir, black. Which one do you think was more funded?
1: Mm, sure, of course.
2: Right, I I go into a number of Christian institutions. <laughs> I go into a number of Christian institutions that are predominantly white, and the some part of the administration or the board of trustees or whoever doesn't think that there should be like a black student unit, a union, or a Latinx union, mm-hmm. or right, a, an opportunity for students of color to just be by themselves for a second. Mm. And they always go, but we don't have that for white students. Right. Have you seen those hallways? Right. Everywhere is like that for white students. Yeah. Yeah. You just haven't, it, it's mm-hmm. it's such a normal part right. of the system that you don't recognize how often white students are in all white spaces all by themselves. Yeah. Right? So it's that normalization that it becomes so um it becomes the water mm. that we swim in and you can no longer tell that it's water.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that is impacting. Let me tell you, it, it doesn't just impact like these student examples that I'm giving, right? It also matters when it comes to my performance review. Mm. Because if the standard is to be like all the white people then I've got a problem. Mm-hmm. So I remember, Jen, I may or may not have been fired from a couple institutions in my life. Mm. <sighs> Cause I wouldn't shut up about race.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And there was, <laughs> there was a moment in one particular instance when I was told like the rundown of reasons why I should leave this job, right? Mm. So has God really called you here? Sure. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. White people always got to bring God into right. it. Right. Anyway, um, right? Anyway, so just going through the list. And at some point, they said, and you know, your trainings. Mm. And I was like, oh, hell no. Mm. I am the only one who consistently gets a standing ovation mm-hmm. after the volunteer training. You will right. not do me. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. But it dawned on me that it's because I don't wear the pencil skirt Mm -hmm. and the button-up shirt and stand still and give the lecture, Mm -hmm. right? I am a daughter of the black church, Mm -hmm. so I move around and I talk with my hands and I tell crazy stories and I make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And when your benefits, when your health insurance, when your paycheck Mm -hmm. depends on you being like them, Mm -hmm. right? So here's what here's what my supervisor used to tell me all the time. Austin, you have so much potential. And at first I was like, "Thank you. Yeah. I think so too." Hmm. And what I eventually realized was what they meant was if you would just try to be more like us, you could do it. You're almost there. You're almost there. Mm-hmm. As opposed to seeing me as I am and saying, this is how we're going to further develop who you Mm -hmm. are. And um, it can be very, very isolating Mm -hmm. when whiteness thinks that it's universal, that Mm -hmm. it's normal. And I genuinely don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like, I cannot participate in a game in which I'm supposed to name Mm -hmm. songs by the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I can't. I can't.
1: Some of the instruction that I have received on normalization that helped lock it in for me because mm-hmm. again it's the water that mm-hmm. we've all swum in, right? Swam, mm-hmm. swam, sure, all the above. I heard a teacher say, like, if you're struggling to sort of get your wrap your mind around that, just imagine it reversed, and just like that, it just locked in real quick. Like, if if ninety, you know, two percent of your life you are in. Um, in a space that's black majority and it's all the movie references, all the music references, all the cultural references, um, the language, the, all of it. And I was like, Oh, I, there I get it. Sometimes what
2: I do for students is I will play, um, Beyonce's formation video, Mm -hmm. just like the first two minutes, like not even the whole thing because it is so steeped in a very particular black culture, right? It is, Socks with the sandals, it's red wigs, it's long acrylic nails, it's wearing a fur in the South. Yeah. It's, do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it's totally. a very particular, it's yeah. hair stores, yeah. it's, right? And I asked some white students, how would you feel if I just dropped you off in the middle of this mm. formation Good. universe? Yeah. And they're like... Well, I'm yeah. <laughs> like, friends, that's culture. Yeah, that's great. And what you don't realize is that you have one too.
1: Yeah. You, you dropped this in just a second ago, and I would like to hear you say more on it. Um, for you, where does faith mm. work in here for you? What, what role does it play in your convictions, yeah. in your path, um, in your instruction, just kind of all of it?
2: Yeah, my faith has changed so so much and I feel like uh particularly in like white evangelical world there are a lot of people who are using the terms like deconstructing and reconstructing right mm-hmm. now. I feel like I am going back but way back. Hmm. So I think a lot about my like my grandmother and my great grandmother and my great great grandmother who had the nerve to believe in a loving god during slavery.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? And during Jim Crow. Mm. Like who had the who prayed every day to a god that they believe could see them,
3: mm-hmm.
2: even though the whole world was against them. I find myself talking to my ancestors mm-hmm. like I, I have I'm so blessed to have a number of pictures that have been recovered in my family tree and especially as I'm writing I'll be like is this right Nana mm. right like, is this am I getting this right am I am I being crystal clear about what it is that we have faced mm. as a people am, am I am I haunting people Will people remember this after they've put the book down?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So in some ways, my faith is being like deconstructed and reconstructed. But in some ways, it also just feels like it's becoming fuller. Mm, like and that. it is circling back mm-hmm. to what was. That's good. As opposed to me trying to like build and piece together something new. Mm. Um, and I am really convinced <laughs> That if I wasn't a Christian, I probably wouldn't be doing this work, friends.
3: Hmm.
2: That's the truth. I believe in a multiracial campaign for racial justice because I am a Christian. Yes. Personally, that's where it comes from. Yeah. If I wasn't a Christian, I think I would be like, white folks, yon yon. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be all black all day all around here yeah. and I don't really know what to tell you. Yeah. Right? I think I'd be like that girl who stood up and was like mm-hmm. just innately evil. Something
1: wrong with y'all. Just wrong.
2: Yeah. Unfixable. Right? Like, yes. <laughs> this cannot be redeemed. Uh, yes. This right here. <laughs>
1: totally. Uh. There's no hope
2: for that. Mm. Right? But there but my faith yeah. tells me yeah. a story of redemption, but it also tells me a story of anger. It tells me a story of overturning tables. Mm-hmm. It tells me a story of standing up for the most marginalized. I find so much rootedness in how I do this work
3: yeah.
2: in Christianity. Right. It, is, it is not that I'm trying to produce Christians, right? Like this isn't some like evangelical proselytizing, right, totally. like you have to be a Christian in order to do this work. I don't believe that at all but I am very aware that how I participate in this work Mm. is very much informed by my own faith.
1: Yes, I see that all over you. Um, Let's talk about another venture you have taken on recently. So if you didn't already know this, Austin is producing and hosting her own web series. It's called The Next Question. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, I can't wait for you to look it up after this. It's so good. Do you think so? It's so so good. It's just... I've worked so hard, I know you have. Like, (laughs) in content, in production value, in discussion, in courage, it is so,
2: so, so good. Can I tell you a story about how this came to be?
1: Yeah, I definitely want to hear that. And I want to hear about your co-host, too, because it's going to close a loop.
2: Yes! Mm -hmm. So, friends, sometimes I get a little upset by how circular mainstream media is when it comes to race. For example, how many times do we need to go over the fact that blackface is not okay? Right.
1: I guess every year.
2: I mean, yeah,
1: I guess every year is your answer.
2: At some point, can we just all know and stop that mess? Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. like how many times do we have to repeat this? And there, there are a couple instances that came to me that I was just like, okay, I've got to do something about this. But one, how many of you are familiar with Michelle Alexander, who wrote The New Jim Crow? A few of you. So, that book is Mich-
1: devastating.
2: It took me years to get through this book, friends. Yeah. So if you haven't gotten there yet, yeah. no shame over here. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, um, But it helps tremendously mm-hmm. in understanding the history of the criminal justice it system. Does. It's so helpful. And so she is a preeminent scholar, mm-hmm. attorney, professor. Like mm-hmm. this woman is B A D. Yes. Bad. She okay. Is. And she wrote this book 15 years ago. Mm. Approximately. 15 years ago. So she knows, so she this was like groundbreaking. This was before yeah. Just Mercy. This That's was right. before Tanasi Coates. Like this was early, early, yeah. early. And I'm listening to an interview that she's doing that was maybe three months ago.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And the first question, dear friends, to this preeminent scholar is, so your book is about the new Jim Crow. Can you just quickly go over what the old Jim Crow was?
1: Oh, no. I'm so embarrassed. I'm secondhand embarrassed.
2: That's what we're gonna do with the first 20 minutes of this woman's time.
1: Uh, I mean, thank you. uh Like, that's. That is absurd. That
2: is absurd. Yes. So, I just got to this point where I was witnessing things like that happen Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, where we have these brilliant minds before us, and instead we are just asking them the same Uh, 101 question over and over and over again. And I wanna ask the next. next question
1: Ah, i see what you did there the next question and you are talk about your co-hosts
2: so i have two amazing co-hosts because when i jump off a cliff i refuse to do so by myself same
1: right same
2: so i made two phone calls my first phone call was to a black woman named chichi oku who was my first black supervisor Hmm. And it was coming out of having been fired, and she put me back together again. She was like, oh, sweetheart, you do have value. Mm -hmm. You should raise your hand during the meeting again. Mm. Right? Like, when I had gotten to the point where I was like, I'm not saying another word anywhere ever again. She put me back together again. The second phone call I made was to a young man named Jenny Booth Potter, who is the girl on the bus who said doing nothing is no longer an option for me. Isn't that great?
1: That's
2: great. Yeah. And so Chi-Chi does all the like content management. So mm-hmm. she makes sure that our questions are in order. She edits the videos. So what you actually see is being produced by Chi-Chi. And Jenny takes care of all the behind-the-scenes crew, equipment. She helps set up. She helps tear down. Yeah. And she is like the I've voice between the technical yeah. stuff, right? Like she's brilliant. Yeah and um she she speaks enough of the language to talk to the people who speak a different language, like yeah. a technologically advanced language that I don't I understand,
3: yeah,
2: I do not understand it, Same. but she's also still a normal,
1: yeah, yeah, right yeah,
2: and so she like stands in the gap, yeah, if you will,
1: yeah, she's your translator. she's wonderful who um talk about a couple of your guests on your show, and maybe like I know you've it's Shock love content. It's online. You can get it right now. Right now. I mean, now. this is available to it's you and it's free. a great reason. It's free. Um, but maybe one of your favorite conversations that you've had on the show, like, or a bit of it, or like something Ooh. that just blew your hair back.
2: So, Nicole Hannah Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you haven't read the 1619 Project yet, yeah. Yeah, that's Nicole Hannah Jones' work. Yeah. Mhm.
1: Really profound stuff
2: right now. I just really wanted her to like me. <laughs> I know what you mean. I bought so much bourbon, y'all. <laughs> Cause I just wanted her to like me. I get it. Oh,
1: when you try just a hair too hard, right?
2: Yes. Mm. I had to pull it back. Yes. Like be cool. Be cool. I don't know if it worked, friends. Yes. Um. But the wealth of knowledge that this woman is, the truth-telling that she brings mm. to the work of education inequality, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. Mm. She very much reminds me of the body of work that Ida B. Wells produced, yeah. right? So Ida B. Wells mm. was talking about lynching when it was happening. Mm-hmm. First, she would be like very journalistic and very statistical and say, mm. here's the data, here's what is actually happening. But then she would take it a step further and she would be like... So the narrative that's happening is that black men are being lynched because they are interested in white women. But let me tell you, it is actually white men who are raping black women is mm-hmm. what's real.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She just went there.
2: I mean, mm-hmm. y'all. Yeah. It was
1: courageous.
2: In 1902. Yeah. I mean, this woman's life was regularly at risk. Nicole Hannah-Jones reminds me of Mm. that level of truth telling.
1: It's a real compliment.
2: It's, she goes Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the ones that was the most transformative for me was talking to Maya Shenwar, who is a prison abolitionist. Oh, yeah. And when people start talking about prison abolition, they get real uncomfortable. Sure. Be like, so where is all the criminals going exactly? Right. Right? Right. (laughs) And will they all be living next to me? That's (laughs) right, right obviously right? and so it was it was it was it was fun to talk with her because she didn't just lay out statistics she kept asking us over and over and over again how do we define a crime how often are crimes not actually related to harm hmm. and do we actually want to fix the harm or do we just want to do punishment for the crime right Right? But just asking like really solid, Mm. deep questions about the world that we want Mm. blew my mind. It's good. I was re watching the episode, taking notes, and I was there. Totally.
1: Yes. You know? Yeah, I've done that.
2: Like, it's it's a lot. Third person that I must mention. Of course. Brene Brown. I still can't believe she said yes, awesome. friends, I'm like what in the world? She's on the
1: stage. She, no, she was here
2: because she's amazing she is she's so wonderful, yeah. so I'm really proud of our conversation with her, though, mm. because we didn't just again have her repeat the definitions for shame and uh-huh. vulnerability. Yeah. hello yeah. somebody
1: yeah. Totally. <laughs> yep, totally
2: <laughs> yep, the crux. The crux of our conversation, not that she doesn't, she might in the episode, but the crux of our conversation was essentially, I'm going to boil it down. I'm I'm not this like cut and chase on the episode, but the heart of our question is, is being brave and being vulnerable only for white women?
1: Ah, there it is. Yeah.
2: Do women of color get to be brave and vulnerable too? Mm. Because so often when we are, it's used against us. You know, or it's a trope, like the strong black woman, as opposed to genuinely being able to be brave as myself. Mm. And so it was really fun to really mm. unpack where her work meets the work of those who are active in racial justice, as opposed to just mm. a sort of ethereal conversation about all of us trying to be brave.
1: Mm. It's really good Thanks. and it's an amazing resource that you have made available to us at no cost. I'm really proud of it. And you should be. Um, so that is easy for you to find you guys as soon as you leave here. So listen up, I am the kind of woman who will transform into a fierce like mama bear, if I smell a whiff of injustice. However, I am also the kind of woman who enjoys a fabulous new lip gloss. Okay, these are my values, and I contain multitudes. So one of my favorite resources to snag my new favorite products I might never find on my own is FabFitFun. Every single FabFitFun box comes with between like eight and ten full-size items that range from beauty and home decor to apparel and jewelry and even more. Um, so you guys, their spring box—it's so fun, and it is now on sale for a limited amount of time. There are these like colorful silicone straws that I can just slip into my purse and never use a plastic straw again. There is—it's called Murad Rapid Collagen Infusion. Please, yes. So FabFitFun is essentially happiness delivered to your door every single season. You can choose from a variety of beauty and fashion and fitness and wellness products and customize your very own spring box. So it retails for $49.99, but always has a value over $200. So to get started, use the coupon code FTL to get $10 off your first box at FabFitFun. Um, So trust me, you're going to thank me later, I promise. One more time, use the coupon code FTL for $10 off your first box at BabFitFun.com today. Okay, back to our show. We both... Lost a good friend this year. You yeah. and I both loved Rachel, held Evan so much. And I know a lot of you did too. Um, she inspired both of us. She advised both of us. She kicked us both into gear. She told us what to do and we obeyed. Um, she was a really, she was a better friend than you could even know. Yeah. Um, you see the surface of things and then there was a hundred layers underneath That's right. that. Um, I have always aspired to be like her in so many Me ways. too um and now kind of feel it in my bones like we got to do we got to we got to carry her load too right Right. um what a real loss so um I know that she is somebody that we both admire and respect who's somebody else in your life that you aspire to be like
2: I find myself trying to figure out what it means to be more like Austin
1: oh I love that
2: And it's not Um, because there aren't really wonderful mm -hmm. people to aspire to like Oprah and Michelle, Mm -hmm. but I'm never going to be Oprah or Michelle. And so I try really hard to figure out what it is about them that draws me to them, right? So the confidence, the creativity, the, right? As opposed to like idolizing the person, Mm. I try really hard to get to what is it that keeps me coming back to this woman's words? That's good. Um, Right now, Ava DuVernay is really important to me because of the stories she's telling, right? That she has all this success and she could be doing anything. Mm. And she's producing movies like When They See Us, you know? And so I'm just trying to be brave, like the women that I see being mm. brave. And it's, it's harder without yeah. Rachel.
1: It is, isn't it? But you are being brave, like the women you're seeing being brave. And you are that example to me. And to so many other people watching you right now and learning from you. And I see you do your hard work. I see you with the heavy lifting. And I know there's a cost. Yeah. I know it. We've talked about it. And yeah. it's heavy. And it's big. And um, I, we're grateful that you're doing it. I want to ask you one last question yeah. before we go to Q&A. And you've answered it before. And you can answer it however you want. Sure. But you know it's what we do. What is saving your life right now?
2: this work Mm -hmm. and being able to do it differently and creatively. Um, I was talking to our friend, Joe Saxton, the other day. And she said to me, Austin, if we had tried to chart out our careers 15 years ago, she's like, we couldn't have done it Mm -hmm. because there was no such thing as podcasting.
1: Right. What's a podcast? What's that? Right.
2: And she said, we have no idea what opportunities Mm. lay before us, because they might not even be created yet. Right.
1: Yeah. Exciting.
2: And I feel like I'm living in that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm creating a web series. I'm writing again. I just feel like this is a moment of such significant creativity and teamwork Mm -hmm. and women doing this together and looking out for one another Mm -hmm. and... It's, I can't imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine what I would be doing if I had to go get a real job.
1: You know how I feel. You know. I would be immediately fired.
2: Yes. First day. Immediately. And when it would be fair. I, when I asked for my yeah. nap. Yeah. Right? Right. Where's, where's, where's the morning lap? snacks? Where's, <laughs> I don't, mm-hmm. but I need to eat my second breakfast. That's
1: exactly right. It's so real.
2: Yeah, this, this work, I, I would be lost and lonely Mm. and anxious if I wasn't pouring my heart out in this work.
1: Well, we're lucky that you are, aren't we? Thank Mm y'all. Okay. This is your moment to be on the podcast.
0: Hello. Can you hear me? Mm
4: -hmm. My question is... um, I am a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I am white. I teach mostly white students. Yeah. What would you, what do you feel like is important for me to know and yeah. for me to be aware of as a public educator mm. um,
2: in a school that's primarily white? Oh, I already know the answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> Good. Diversity in the classroom like diversity in the curriculum mm. diversity in what you're teaching diversity in the voices that you're bringing into the mm. classroom is important for everybody
0: right, right.
2: everybody <laughs> as a little black girl it definitely makes me feel great when i'm in a classroom that is um reading not just edgar Allan poe but also maya Angelou. Mm. right like that mm. it matters to me of course but Everybody needs to know who Maya is. That's right.
1: right. Everybody.
2: Everybody needs to know who Toni good. Morrison is. Yeah. You know. So, so I would say to incorporate diversity, not because you have a student, right, but because you genuinely believe that the voices of people of color are so important that they have something to say to everybody oh, that's too. That's good,
1: Austin, that's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, good question.
4: Hi, Austin. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Lori, and I work at a um, large software company. And I, um, I do regular presentations around the world. And I am a speaker oftentimes with people from various parts of the world. Sure. And I often hear comments about um, African-American women not being represented. Sure. And in IT, women are not represented, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, But African-American women and, you know, minorities as a a whole are not represented. And I have a really hard time with people saying, you know, we should have 50% women or we should have 50% minorities.
2: Oh, sure. I'm with
4: Uh, you. I'm all for that, being a woman. Um, But at the same time, the pool is not that big. Right. And so I do my best in bringing... um, Bring young women into mm-hmm. shadowing me and mm-hmm. things, but what can we do as a community and you know just in IT? Um, what can we do to bring more minorities and African African American yep. people, right? Mm-hmm. Humans, not just women, yep. not just. You know, whatever. How can we bring more humans of, uh, you know, non-white into the community and and give them opportunities and make it a more diverse community? Totally, yeah, that's
3: deep.
2: Yeah. So, I'm going to make it more broad than just IT, if that's okay, because there are multiple industries: doctors, nurses. Uh Do you know what I mean? Like, right? So many industries where this is true. Please. So first, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so first, um, I would say that. The pursuit of racial justice is never just one thing, yeah. and wouldn't it be nice if we could just like flip this one, one switch fake. over here, mm-hmm. right, and then fix it all? Mm-hmm. Never. It is always a layered conversation because it is always both interpersonal and systemic, That's right? right? Okay. So what you are doing right now is the interpersonal work, having someone shadow you, going mm-hmm. to like the actual pursuit of people of color, yeah. right? But there is also a system problem, mm-hmm. in which. So let me give you a, an example. I was just recently. Um, watching a Twitter thread unfold where a black woman was talking about the report cards that she used to get when she was a kid. And she was saying that um, she was told that she asked way too many questions, mm-hmm. that she's disrespectful, that she needs to like tone it down, that she's too aggressive, and all these black women started talking about mm-hmm. the terrible report cards. They were good students. Their grades were excellent. But the teachers didn't appreciate their own curiosity mm-hmm. and inquisitiveness, and it turned them off from school. Mm-hmm. Are y'all with me? Yeah. There are so many things in the system yeah. that we have to fix. How girls see themselves. Um, how girls of color are being demonized in ways that white girls are not, Mm. um, being assessed in ways that white girls are not, Um, access, so, where does someone who grows up in the hood go to learn coding?
1: exactly right.
2: You know what I mean? Like there Girls are so the many things, mm-hmm. right? I'm glad you said <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, Right. I mean, there's,
4: there's places. Yeah, we more. Yeah, anymore. yeah, yeah. Anymore. sure.
2: So what activists always say is that, and this is where I'm going to make it more broad, what activists always say is when you have figured out what it is that bothers you, go find the people who are fixing it. That's good. Yeah. Right? So my question for you would be to continue the interpersonal work, to do what you can on an interpersonal level, but also go call, Girls Who Code, mm-hmm. and say, what do you need from me? That's good. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. great. That's great advice.
4: Thank
1: you. Love it.
2: Mm.
1: My lovely sister and Come I up a g- bit closer to the grew up in Podunk, Washington. It's as white as white gets. And they moved to Texas, and they transracially adopted. And I have a beautiful nephew mm-hmm. who's amazing. Um, but he's black Mm -hmm. and he's part of a very, very super duper white family. Mm -hmm. Um, and when he was tiny, there were jokes and it was inappropriate and we quashed Mm -hmm. most of that, Mm -hmm. but he's six now. So where do we go moving forward? What's the most important thing for him to hear from us as family members to make sure he maintains his identity? without being marginalized within our family. you want to take
2: that? He already is. -hmm. He already is marginalized within your family. This is is so hard for me, friends, because Mm -hmm. I don't want to be misunderstood. Let me say it this way. It's really hard Mm -hmm. to be the only black girl in the classroom who still goes home to a black family. Like just to be the only black girl for mm-hmm. a school day is difficult. Right. Being the only black person in the family, mm-hmm. that is a level of onlyness. I'm just gonna make up more words. That's mm. a, it's a level of only that I honestly cannot comprehend. Mm. It is really difficult for white folks who believe their experience is universal. Mm to take seriously black culture Mm -hmm. and the importance of black culture. Mm. We really do have a language beyond Ebonics. Mm. uh, Like if I, all right, black women, y'all gonna help me out? Mm. I see a couple of you in the audience. (laughs) Y'all gonna help me out? If I do this, who am I referencing? color purple, right? Mm. But that's a reference that for the most part only black women get, right? right? And there's, there's a million things like that. Yeah. Um, there are a million conversations. So we talk about the talk, right? Mm-hmm. That the talk became the huge thing when yeah. um, there was just all these brutal things happening um, to black boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, can I share with y'all another secret? Mm-hmm. There's not just the talk about police mm-hmm. that's happening. There is also a talk that many black boys get, particularly black boys growing up in predominantly white schools, Mm -hmm. that we shorthand don't catch a case. Mm -hmm. Which means you need to make sure that that white girl that you're dating actually cares about you and is not going to turn around and accuse you of something you didn't do because she got mad at you. Mm -hmm. There are stories and experiences and a history that get passed down in black culture that white folks are almost completely unaware of, and it puts kids of color in danger. So the thing that I would say is that the family must stop thinking of itself as this kid's only family this beautiful boy needs black people in his life. Black role models, black teachers, black worship, black, mm. all, all things black. Mm. And the family must actively destroy this narrative that we talked about earlier, which is that if it's black, it's inferior. Mm. So if it's hip hop, it's inferior. If it's a black church, it's inferior. If it's Tupac, it's inferior. If it's, right, that, that has somebody in this family has to say to this little beautiful boy on a regular basis, you are beautiful, your culture is beautiful, whatever you're into is beautiful, hip hop is beautiful, mm-hmm. he, right, the political leaders are beautiful, Obama is beautiful, like I don't care about your political, sw- mm-hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to be the cheerleader of black culture is That's what good. I'm trying to say. That's a great The answer. cheerleader of black culture.
1: Thank you for that honesty. Yeah. When you wake up, what is the first thing you do? Do you grab your phone and start scrolling? Um, I bet you do. But then what happens is looking at all those social feeds and unanswered emails, your brain starts going a hundred miles a minute and you're not even out of bed. And it feels like all the rest you got just evaporated. I think there's a better way to start the day thanks to Abide. It is the number one meditation app for believers looking to integrate some scripture and positive messages into their days. And so for a limited time, my listeners will get 25% off a premium subscription at abide.co slash for the love. Here's the great part. Abide's meditations start at just two minutes long. So they're the perfect way to get a quick dose of inspiration or work through topics like overcoming anxiety or managing stress or finding forgiveness, so much more. So get started now with 25% off a premium subscription by downloading the Abide app at abide.co slash for the love. You'll get additional stories and meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more for 25% off by going to abide.co slash for the love. Okay, one last time. It's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O slash for the love to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription today. Back to the show, guys.
0: My name is Christy, and I'm wondering how you, how you keep going when there's a thousand little things that are said mm. that a white person says to you and doesn't even realize. This week, I got asked if I was going to the Teaching While White conference, and just looking at mm-hmm. me, I'm not white. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, I mean, just those little things that aren't as um, overt, yep. aren't as... Um, I'm sure the intention was not there to be racist or rude, but all those million little things Mm. or thousand little things you hear, how do you keep going?
2: Um, So one, I really do consider myself a part of a legacy. Mm. So those little things hurt. Mm. And if I were to go to my great-grandmother and say, Nana, that really hurt. She would be like, child, try getting kicked off the damn bus. You know what I mean? Like, she would be like, okay, chick. So I try really hard to remember, and, 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 and not as a way to minimize what I experience, but as a way to say, if my great-grandmother could make it through that, then I can make it through this, right? So it is, it's empowering. Um, the other thing that I would say is that I'm real clear about who my white friends is and who they isn't. There are a lot of, ooh, uh, I've never said this out loud before. Okay, there are a lot, there are white people that I love, but the, the number of white people that I trust is much smaller.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the reason that I can survive those paper cuts is because you ain't my friend, mm. right? Like, and I, and I don't have time. I don't have time to teach you. I don't have time, like, mm. you, no, I'm not going to the conference. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Ask somebody else why not. Right? Like, instead of, instead of you Good. feeling like you have lost your mind, <laughs> you need to start looking at other people, like you have,
0: you might need to rethink uh-huh.
2: yeah. all of that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Good girl.
0: My name is Maria. And uh, Martin Luther King is famously quoted as saying, the arc of the universe bends towards justice. Um, I am the priest at a historically African-American Episcopal church. And um, I think it is fair to say that my people um, do not uh, experience the arc of the universe as bending towards justice. Mm. Um, and I, uh, I notice that you don't use the phrase reconciliation or racial reconciliation, um, which is very popular in Christian culture, but you talk about racial justice. Yeah. Um, and as someone who preaches to a mixed congregation, Um, where, you know, the older African-American folks are, they are older, um, and uh, it is a congregation that is struggling with what justice really looks Mm. like in their lives in a highly gentrified, which means white, um, or has now become white neighborhood. Um, So could you Mm. just reflect on what does justice mean, and is there a difference between reconciliation and justice? That's
1: a great Um, question to end on.
2: Woo! Thank you. (laughs) Um, It's often really helpful to start defining terms when we start talking about any of this, (laughs) justice in in any Mm. sense for any people. Um, Because often what happens is our our language reveals what we mean, regardless of what the actual definition is. Mm-hmm. So people say reconciliation, and what they mean is, can we all just hold hands right. and get along? That's right. right. And because that's what people usually mean, I don't often use the word reconciliation. Uh, because we are not ever gonna hold hands and just get along until there is justice. Right. At least for me there may be other people in your life who are more than willing to sing kumbaya with you. Mm. And that's great. That is everyone's prerogative. Mm. But you and I, we're not going to be singing kumbaya together until we have rectified some things, mm. right? And so so I focus a lot more on justice because I believe the, that reconciliation peace happens as you work for justice together. I agree. I think it's all part of it um the problem is that people try to skip over justice and just like can we all just have the status quo and you smile at me Mm -hmm. i'm like no (laughs) no i cannot do that we are going to pursue justice together and as we do that we are both going to be transformed
3: Mm.
2: we are both going to discover new things about the world about each other and if we stay in the work we will find ourselves in a deep, authentic relationship in which if I lost a braid right now, Jen would not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Because she knows black women. y'all with me? Yeah. Right? Um, mm. The reward is injustice work. What does justice look like? I have no idea. I think I think the answer to that changes depending on what area industry we are looking at. Mm. Once upon a time, my people were enslaved, and justice meant freeing those who were enslaved. And then justice meant getting rid of these stupid Jim Crow signs and actually producing a court system that has the potential to treat everybody as equal. Mm. Right, the definition of what justice has required of us changes over time. That's and nice. it is our responsibility to decide what our generation right now is going to do to pursue justice today. That's good. But that question cannot be answered by previous generations. Mm-hmm. Each generation had its own work to do, and now we have our work to do. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's more complicated, friends, because we know more, because we have Twitter and Facebook Mm -hmm. and Mm 24-hour news. And like we know so much more about what's happening in the world. And that can be wildly overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It is still our job Mm -hmm. to pursue justice, because while we have more information, we also have more tools. That's right. And we can't forget about the other side of the equation. More problems, more issues, but also more tools. Mm And so um, we get to decide. We get to decide what justice looks like. If I can give one more thought, um, I have started using the term institutional neighborliness Mm. because so often white folks think about just the interpersonal, right? Mm -hmm. So who am I friends with? Who is in my family? Mm -hmm. And like, who are the people I'm looking in the face, right? And I think white folks, particularly white communities, so predominantly white churches, predominantly white schools, predominantly white families, um, would find that they have a lot to contribute as a community if they thought about what it would mean to be an institutional neighbor. Mm. So when you go vote, you don't vote your own interest, you vote for the most marginalized interest. right? When they try to close the one black school in your neighborhood, you show up and say, oh no, Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. We're going to keep this school open. And we also want to see more equity and more funding and more, Mm -hmm. right? So what does it mean to show up for other people to practice institutional neighborliness as opposed to just like trying to invite people for coffee dates? That's
1: good, that's great.
2: Coffee dates aren't gonna get us to justice.
1: They're not, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Delighted to be with you tonight. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat.
0: Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.